Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one-stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com slash holiday. Do you sometimes get the sense that debates about America's role in the world are predictable and often disconnected from reality? Our new podcast tries to change that. None of the Above offers new ideas to help confront America's global challenges. Subscribe to None of the Above today. Good morning. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the Let Freedom Ring podcast. This is your host, Noah Ring. Uh, thank you for tuning in to this podcast. This is a once-a-week podcast where I, I come down and I talk to you about uh, what, what's happened that week, my thoughts on it, my thoughts moving forward, my thoughts on the forward of conservatism. Um, this, this is obviously the inaugural episode being episode number one. So this episode, I do want to get into some topics that are, that are going on right now, but I also want to, want to look towards the future. Uh, a little bit of background on myself. My name is Noah Ring. I'm a conservative teen activist from the state of Georgia. Uh, I am a published author, The ABCs of Politics in the Eyes of a High Schooler. Uh, definitely check that out if you haven't. It's on Amazon, wherever you guys buy books. Uh, but secondly, uh, I'm, I'm a college student, okay? I, I'm currently enrolled, and I have a unique perspective, I believe, because I'm a college student. I know that my beliefs are different than my grandparents. My grandparents are also staunch Republicans. So I think that me being able to discuss things with you, whether you are either my age or you're a bit older or, or you, you're a little way older, uh, you have grandkids, great-grandkids, whatever it may be, can kind of serve as a buffer between you and your grandkids, you and your peers, if you are my age, or, or just whoever. Because I think that we must understand moving forward that we, as one, it's better to get a Republican elected than anybody the Democrats are nominating, especially this year. Um, especially this year. So I think that this being served as that, as me being somebody who, who can serve as that buffer, who I can kind of tell you what I believe, because I feel a lot of my generation are conservative. We're just not a, a typical a typical conservative that you would think. Uh, we tend to be, you know, fiscal conservatives, socially more liberal, socially more. You know, live and let live, as I've dubbed us, the live and let live generation, because we personally don't care what people do, as so long as they're not hurting anybody else. My good buddy Cliff Maloney once told me, Noah, everyone should have the right to do whatever floats their boat so long as they don't sink mine, and I completely agree with that, and I think most of you do too. Also, on this episode, I have Congressman Garrett Graves on. We have a good discussion about the future of the conservative movement. Not only within his home state, of Louisiana, but just America as a whole. Uh, big thanks to him for coming on. That'll be on. That'll be on a little bit later. But first, let's let's get into it to a little bit of what's going on this week. So we have witnessed we've witnessed a, a couple of, of tragedies going on over the past couple of months that have definitely made me want to do this podcast that much more. You see, I, I'm not a big fan of the establishment media telling you false narratives. You know, they'll tell you the truth. It'll just be in paragraph 18. Uh, of the piece. So, you know, this all started with uh, this chain of shootings, I should say, this year started with the Ahmaud Aubrey case. And I live about 25, 30 minutes from uh, where Ahmaud Aubrey was unfortunately murdered. And uh, yes, it was murder. And 
that case is one that everyone was in agreement the McMichaels were wrong. You know, I, I for one am glad that they got arrested. And I hope that justice is 100% served because the Aubrey family deserves it. The fact that it took from February to about, I believe it was May or June for them to get arrested was absolutely, absolutely horrendous. I do hope that Governor Kemp, uh, I hope he, he launches a solid, I hope he gets the GBI to launch a solid investigation into why it took so long for these people to get arrested. Uh, furthermore, uh, after Ahmad Aubrey, we saw a lot of peaceful protests. They were peaceful after Ahmad Aubrey. And then, unfortunately, uh, George Floyd happened. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I don't know how you don't know this, George Floyd was a man who, who was high on fentanyl and he was, uh, he was confronted by the police for allegedly paying with a counterfeit, uh, I believe, $20 bill. I don't know the, the, the truth of that. I've just heard that multiple times. A, confe- a counterfeit, not a confederate, a counterfeit $20 bill. So uh, then, uh, you know, obviously the media leapt on it because Derek Chauvin, the police officer in that situation, knelt on Ahmaud Aubrey's neck for, let's just say nine minutes. It was like eight minutes and 50 seconds, but nine minutes. And I think it's multiple. I think one thing that you will see throughout the course of the show is that I call out when multiple things can be true at once. Should Derek Chauvin have knelt on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes? Probably not. George Floyd was already in handcuffs. What are you going to do? He's not going to make it far. If you've ever watched anybody run in handcuffs, you know as well as I do, they'll make it They'll make it maybe a tenth of a mile. Maybe. And then they'll fall because they'll lose balance because they can't move their hands. However, you know, George Floyd also did not deserve uh, his neck to get knelt on for nine minutes, like I said. However, you know, he was he was high, out of his mind, and he also he also uh, did break the law and he was freaking out. Probably something to do with the, the highness, uh, the state of being high and the, the paranoia that comes with such that, especially when dealing with the police officers. So so that happened and that led to riots, which led to, as you saw, nights and nights and nights of horrific, horrific scenes. I remember we watched, I believe it was in Dallas, Texas, we watched a store owner get beat in front of his store almost to death. Of course, zero coverage from the media. Of course, nothing was brought up. Nothing was brought up. And then more recently, we watched We watched as Jacob Blake was unfortunately shot in front of his kids. And it is sad. It's definitely always a tragedy whenever you know shootings occur. Nobody wants shootings to occur. Or I should say most nobody wants shootings to occur. Um, but the media obviously does not look at the facts of the case. When we watched the video, the video that got this whole story, the, we saw the same video. I saw the same video as you who saw the same video as the people at NBC. Jacob Blake was told multiple times not to go into some, not to go into his car. Uh, it's pretty obvious that he should have known what was going on. The police officers had their weapons drawn. I think that one, if you're ever if you're ever in a situation with the police officers, ever in a situation with cops. You should go ahead and listen to them, but if they pull out their firearm, you should you should definitely go ahead and listen to them, because here, here's the thing: if they've pulled out their firearm, whether they're right or wrong to do it, doesn't really matter. They've already determined you're a threat, and sure, you cannot you cannot listen, you cannot listen, and maybe you get shot, maybe you don't, 
And if you get shot unjustly, you know, in a lot of cases, it really doesn't matter what happens afterwards because you're already, you're already dead or, or. So there, there can be riots for you. However, it doesn't bring you back. So to all those listening, if you're ever dealing with the cops, just listen, be respectful, be nice. Not saying that Jacob Blake did not deserve to be, to be approached by the cops. I mean, they, they got called. He, he had a, he had a rap sheet. And obviously they knew who it was when he was arriving on the scene. So they were already a bit a bit uh, weary of who it was, of Jacob Blake's rap, rap sheet. Not saying that that justified anything. But when, when, you reach, when you reach into the driver's side of a car and you pull out and you, and, you go, and you go to pull something and the cops have no idea what's going on, well, you can see where the cops will get off in this, as they should. Uh, it later came out that they found a knife right where he was heading, right where his hands were heading. He, they found a knife. They found a knife. So then, uh, that happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which led to the Wisconsin riots, the Kenosha, Wisconsin riots, where a 17-year-old named Kyle Rittenhouse, unfortunately, uh, was caught up in, in a situation. Now, now, for those of you who don't know, again, I'm not sure how you, I'm not sure how you don't know this, those of you who don't know, Kyle Rittenhouse was a 17-year-old who was from Illinois. And he went to this protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And he, he, he went at first to provide medical medical assistance. He, he's seen multiple times in interviews uh, offering medical assistance to, to, to people. Here, we'll play, we'll play one of those interviews right now. People are getting injured. And our job is to protect this business. And part of my job is to also help people. There's somebody hurt. I'm running into harm's way. That's why I have my rifle because I need to protect myself, obviously. But I also have my med kit. So listening to that, um, listening to that audio, you know, this guy, Kyle, he, he seems like a kid who, who went there uh, with no nefarious actions to harm you. You even heard him say he's here with his med kit to provide to provide help to those who, who, who need help, to provide assistance to police officers. However, he he... He brought the rifle, he said, for self for self-protection, which, I mean, knowing what he was going into, fair, that's fair. However, it, let, let's look objectively true. Uh, objectively true, Kyle was acting in self-defense. Uh, objectively true. Uh, the people who he was, who, who, who he, he fought, who he fired upon, who he shot, they, they were looking to do Kyle harm. They were objectively true that he he was he was acting in self-defense i do believe he will he will end up getting off on those charges most likely um i do believe that he won't they won't be able to convict him on that now while we can agree that he acted in self-defense that his actions there might have been justified i i think that looking at the video and looking at everything it's gonna be hard to one it's gonna be hard to prove first degree uh now First degree in this in this case, from all the lawyers I've talked to, would would be that he openly just went onto a rooftop and started firing. Obviously, that's not what he did. Obviously, it's not what he did. And we have interviews from earlier on in the day that told that said he was going that 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 in which he said he was going just to provide support to the police officers and to provide and to provide me- medical care to it. To, to, to those who, one, were writing that he, you know, supposedly, as, you know, the senator from Connecticut are saying, that he that he wanted to kill. And first off, shame, shame to him. Shame to that senator. 
He said he was a deranged white supremacist, Senator Richard Blumenthal, a deranged white supremacist. Um, absolutely disgusting. One for the senator to say that without looking into this. Uh, this was again a tragedy, and, and it sucks. But back, I think I'm gonna have to title this. I think I'm gonna have to title the episode one. Two things can be true at once. Because because going back to this, while Kyle was acting in self-defense, the question of whether or not he should have been there is another question that needs to be answered. You see, Kyle was from Illinois. This happened in Wisconsin. So he had to drive a number of hours to get there. And self-defense becomes, in my, in my opinion, a lot harder to prove um, when one drives to a riot. Now, I still believe he was acting in self-defense, and I believe that the, the lawyers will be able to argue that very successfully. Because, I mean, if that's like saying you go on vacation and somebody attacks you. Well, if you went on vacation, I, I still believe that he'll end up, this this is self-defense. However, he probably should not have been there. You know, he, I admire him wanting to go to help, but it's not his fight. It's not his fight. And to those of you who are listening, who think, who, who are, you know, big Kyle Rittenhouse fans and think what he did was great. One, it's not great. Two people are dead. Two people are dead. It's a tragedy. He he probably should have stayed home, honestly. Because what if this what if this goes differently? What if Kyle doesn't get that doesn't get that shot off when the guy has a gun? Kyle's dead. This is nowhere for a seventeen year old. This is not. I wouldn't go, and I'm nineteen. This is this is something that these riots are somewhere that trained law enforcement. And National Guard units should go. People who are 100% trained in this. Now, Kyle, I will give it to him, was was right on with the shots. He, he hit almost every shot he took. However, he this was not his fight, in my opinion. Um, I don't think he went out to be a vigilante like the McMichaels did. I don't think he had nefarious intentions. And I've debated that. However, I have a few questions. One, where were his parents? Where was were his parents there? Did his parents know the people who owned the car lot he was supposedly protecting? Because that could change everything. That could. But we've yet to hear where the, where Rittenhouse's parents were. I think that that is something, one, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, have you ever had a 17-year-old? One, again, I'm 19. I've never had a 17-year-old kid. Two, you know, regardless, this is, the kid left the house with an AR-15. I mean, I'm just saying, I would hope that the parents would have, you know, better restraint to know that their kid is leaving the, the house with a gun that's kind of hard to conceal. Now, again, I don't think that Rittenhouse is a bad kid. I don't think the parents are probably bad. But the parents should have acted in a better intention and saying, no, dude, you're not going to this riot. Now, again, the parents very well could have been there with him. You know, I don't know. I don't think he just got in his car and drove across to one or two state, two or three state lines. Sorry, my geography is off since I graduated high school. Two or three state lines in order to be in this fight. But we can, I think we can objectively agree that he probably should have just stayed home. And I mean, he's looking at, I think it was like 170 years in jail it, in, all of his, in all of his charges. I think we can both agree that he'd be a lot happier if he stayed home. Now, I don't, again, I don't think he's going to get that. I think the only one that could stick would be that he had a firearm that he's not legally allowed to possess. He, he was open carrying a firearm in a state where he was not legally allowed to. But I think that's a misdemeanor. That's the lowest of his crimes, honestly. And then to get into another narrative that is being pushed through the Rittenhouse situation, 
is this this narrative that police don't shoot you know white mass shooters white but but they shoot you know Jacob Blake they shoot you know they kill George Floyd whatever it may be the, here's the thing they also they also go into into the into the terrorist who opened fire into the South Carolina church and he was a terrorist the, the that guy did not start shooting at police Kyle did not start shooting at police that's why he didn't go home there are a lot of people every year no matter the color that when they pose a threat to the police officers the police officers return fire the police officers return fire now, if they don't pose a threat to the police officers, I have a, I have a vast belief that most police officers don't want to kill people. We, we in my community, we had a, a police, a police shooting, um, about two years ago, and I was able to speak with some of the police on the force afterwards, and they expressed to me that they wish this would not have happened. They one hundred percent wish this would not have happened, and I believe that's ultimately true. You know. These these police officers, objectively true, no matter if you're one of the defund the police people, these police officers have one of the most difficult jobs in the country. They see people at the worst at their worst point. Sometimes the worst day they'll ever have in their life. They 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 see these five days a week. They see these people who need a hand. And sure, most altercations are, are traffic stops, are unlocking car doors for people. At least where I live, but sometimes it's domestic violence. Sometimes it's burglary. They never know what they're pulling up on. And LeBron James, he, he he's somebody who is really good at, at playing basketball, not too good at political commentary. So LeBron James, after after winning a playoff game, big surprise, uh, after winning a playoff game, he, he started to go off on on the uh, on, on about the Jacob Blake case. He said, quote, this is from the Chicago Times, uh, quote, there were multiple moments where if they wanted to, they could have tackled him. They could have grabbed him. James said they could have done that. Why does it always have to get to a point where they, when, to where we see the guns firing and his family is there and his kids are there? It's in broad daylight. And if that video was not taken by the person across the street, do we even know if we even seen that video? Well, one, if, if they wouldn't have been taken by the people across the street, there wouldn't have been a video. First off, that's just first off. Second, again, it's sad that his kids were there. 100% sad. 100% sad. But let's look at this, you know. Not justifying what Derek Chauvin did. Not justifying at all. I still think he could have handled it way differently. However, however, Derek Chauvin never pulled a gun. And they're still going after him. Again, could have handled it way differently. I'm not justifying what Derek Chauvin did. But then, LeBron James carries on. Quote, you have no idea how that cop left that day left the house. James said, you don't know if he woke up on the, on this side of the bed. You don't know if he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. You don't know if he had an argument at home with a significant other. You don't know if one of his kids said something to him that left to him and he left the house steaming. Or maybe he just left the house saying that today is going to be the end of, for one of these black people. That's it. That's what it feels like. No wonder James also went on to say, I got nothing to say about those cops at all. Look, man. Look, LeBron, obviously you're not listening to this, but if you are, this you you need to be a role model. You, you First off, you don't represent black America at all. I don't either. But you know who does? Actual black Americans who are polled. And they said overwhelmingly, 81%, I believe it was, said 
that they want the same amount, if not more, police in their neighborhoods. Same amount, if not more. You see, LeBron lives in one of the nicest houses in Los Angeles. He's worth a gazillion dollars, has security whenever he wants it. And, and of course, he's not for police. He doesn't need them. He lives in a gated community to where if, to, to get a butler, to be a butler there, you got to go through seven background checks. But for you, who lives in Baltimore or wherever, I'm sorry, these cops are bad people. You don't need them. We should defund them. It's absolutely despicable how out of touch people like him are. Who out of touch, how out of touch LeBron James is with this. If you truthfully think that police officers wake up every day and say, you know what, I kind of want to kill a black person. Well, I don't know what to say to you anymore because you've already you've already conceded to me one that you're that you're ignorant, and two that you do not back those in blue. You don't back them. I like to give police officers benefit of a doubt because I believe one thing. These men and women signed an oath, swore an oath, took an oath, however you want to say it, to defend their communities, to answer the call of their neighborhoods. They took this oath willingly. They weren't forced, willingly, in order to protect you and me. I don't know. There, there are countless times in which my life could have been saved by police officers that I don't know about. Maybe they pulled somebody over who was drunk driving who, if they had not pulled over later in the day, could have hit me. Maybe they arrested somebody who could have broken to my house. I don't know. But I know one thing. I'm, I'm much better off today because we, had, because we have a great police force here, here where I live than if we didn't. Now, of course, are there bad cops? Yes. Overwhelmingly. There are bad NBA players. There are bad everyone. There are, bad, there are bad people in the military. There are bad people in every industry. It's objectively true. You're not going to find perfect people ever. And should these bad apples be rooted out? Yes, they should. But they should not be used to judge the police force as a whole. There are millions of cops around the country. There are millions of cops. However, we let the actions of a few quote-unquote bad apples go on to ruin what we think about all of them. And some of them aren't even bad apples. They're just not portrayed correctly by the media. Like the officers in the Breonna Taylor case. We, we witnessed, and I'm not, I'm not sure if you saw it, but I'm sure you did. Rand Paul, when he was leaving, and Rand Paul was leaving the RNC uh, watch party, or just the RNC in general, I'm not 100% sure which one, he was surrounded by protesters who were yelling at him to say Breonna Taylor's name, basically. Now, one, let's look back at about three years ago when uh, Rand Paul's life was almost ended by his neighbor who attacked him because he was conservative. And it's like, how do you not know Rand Paul's conservative? I don't know. And now, you know, I watched the disturbing footage of Rand Paul's being want. They wanted to attack Rand Paul if the D.C. police had not been there. Rand Paul would be in serious condition in the hospital right now. But they're saying, say her name, say her name, say her name. If they would have done research, they would have noticed that Rand Paul sponsored the Breonna Taylor Act, which bans no-knock warrants. That's what they would have noticed. That's what they would have realized. We go after the wrong people in this country. We do. I don't like no-knock warrants at all. 
I don't. Not a big fan. Outside of outside of military excursions, not a big fan at all. Because stuff like what happened to Breonna Taylor case happens. I'm just saying, I'm being 100% honest right now. If somebody were to just kick open my door, my first thought would not be, oh, that, that that's the cops. That's not my first thought. That's not going to be a lot of people's first thoughts. That's going to be anybody's first thoughts. I'm with you. That's why I don't like no-knock warrants. Now, the police officers acted in self-defense. They were fired upon. But also, Brianna Taylor's boyfriend most likely acted in self-defense. You can argue that he was reasonably scared for his life. If you, if all you saw were a bunch of men coming in your house or in your apartment with guns after they just kicked open the door and it's the middle of the night, you just woke up, objectively, you're going to think that they're coming to do you harm as well. That's objectively true. It's a tragedy. However, the police officers are not the ones to blame. The police officers were fired upon and returned fire. Tragedy. 100% tragedy. I completely guarantee. I, I completely agree. Sorry. That it's a tragedy and that I wish it didn't happen. I wish Brianna Taylor was here today. I do. Unfortunately. It, unfortunately, she's not. But these police officers were not to blame for this. They weren't. Now, if anybody's to blame, it's it's either the judge who signed off on a no-knock warrant for an apartment building, knowing that it could go so wrong in an apartment building where your neighbors are literally right next door. Could You could go after the judge who signed it. You could go after the lawmakers who allowed it, who said who, who voted for it, who voted for, to allow no-knock warrants. Don't go after the police officers. It, it's like this. Let's say... Let's say, um, let's say the military overseas. Let's say that a lieutenant ordered a sergeant. I hope I'm getting this chain of command right. A lieutenant ordered uh, his sergeant and his sergeant's, um, you know, privates to, to raid a compound. Let's just say. Let's say the lieutenant didn't have the go order from. <clears throat> sorry, didn't have the go order from the necessary chain of command. Privates go in. And they raid the wrong compound. Are they held accountable for this? Technically, their actions were wrong. Or is it the lieutenant and the higher-ups that led them to the actions? In my opinion, it would be the lieutenant and the higher-ups. Because they led them to the actions. You know, the sergeant would never have went in there just by himself without the lieutenant telling him to go in there. Wait, we hold the wrong people accountable in this country. And we have a media that paints the wrong narrative. Whenever it fits them. We have a media that wants to divide this country. It's, it's plain and simple. Uh, just uh, you, He just spoke at the, at the RNC, Nick Sandman, right? What was very shocking to me is that the country as a whole watched the same footage, gathered two different results based on what Fox News or MSNBC said. It's scary that our media has that much power. Truthfully is. Another reason why I started this podcast back up. Because I want to, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. It's, it's not a shock at all. I'm conservative. I'll be honest with you. I'm conservative and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm biased. I'm, I'm swayed by my conservative beliefs. Fair. I'll be honest with you. However, I'm going to give you the truth first. All my opinions, those that aren't, you know, political theory opinions like tax cuts 
even though those can be backed up by studies. All my opinions on poli- on anything involving the police officers, shootings, anything, will be backed up by what has actually happened. Because I'm fair enough to tell you that there are unjustified police shootings. There are. And I'm the first to call them out with you. I'm with you whenever a police officer does something he's not supposed to. I'm there. And I'll fight right along with you. But what I will never do is openly go after every single police officer, every single soldier, every single sailor, or every single straight white male Republican. Because that's not what I'm about. I'm about giving you the truth, giving you the facts, giving you my opinion, and letting you make your own decision. If you don't agree with me, 100% okay. I have close uh, people close to me who, who are diehard liberals, and are not our, our, our ballots this November won't be the same. And that's okay. Because I learned from them. You know, I, I believe that there are left-leaning people listening to the show. And for that, I commend them. I listen to left-leaning shows all the time. Because it's good to have a diverse opinion. It's good to be able to hear, first and foremost, the truth. The facts. Hear what the conservatives think. And hear what the liberals think. You know, hear what Noah Ring says. Hear what David Hogg says. Make up your own mind. That's 100% okay. I just hope you think I'm smarter than David. Make up your own mind. I mean, he did get into Harvard, though. Make up your own mind. Now, without further ado, I'm going to to bring in uh, Congressman Graves. Congressman Graves is the congressman from Louisiana's 6th District. And he is leading the charge on many fronts within the conservative movement. And I personally, I'm telling you right now, Congressman Graves will be the future of the Republican Party. At least I hope he is. Take a listen. Awesome. And so today we are joined by who many consider the future of the Republican Party in Congressman uh, Congressman Garrett Graves. Sorry. I'm sure you know this. There are three Congressman Graves on the Hill. There, there are. And uh, they're all good folks. And of course, one of them is uh, from right here in Georgia, uh, Tom, who we're, mm-hmm. we're disappointed to see uh taking a taking a bow out he's a he's been a great guy good friend oh for sure yeah there there, there was a, a really big race uh for that for that um for that seat but congressman let's 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 jump into this um i'm sure you've seen obviously we're in the midst of a pandemic and every state's handling differently you know georgia versus new york versus california uh w- what's your take on what los angeles is doing i'm not sure if you saw but they cut power and water to a house that was having a party. What's your take on this? Well, you know what? I, I gotta, I, I'm, I'm wondering if they cut it because uh, they're having a party or they cut it because some of their, um, their climate energy strategies have resulted in them not having enough power to be able to, to build power their economy. They're doing rolling blackouts in, in California right now because of, of what is supposed to be their climate strategy that isn't resulting in lower prices, that isn't resulting in lower emissions, and it's only resulting in blackouts. But look, bottom line in response to your question, Noah, um, I think it is absolute overreach of the government uh, to be taking those sort of heavy-handed tactics um, in, uh, in in the case of Los Angeles. And I, I just, I think it's a mistake. Right. And, you know, one thing that, you know, you and I prob- have obviously both read the Constitution, and right there in the First Amendment, you have the right to peacefully assemble. Um, they were within their own property. They weren't hurting anybody. And I think that it's complete government overreach. Now, of course, if they said they were protesting, I think it all would have been okay. 
<laughs> I, look, it, the the irony out there of these people that are uh, that are that are pushing everybody on mask and calling everybody out for wearing a mask. Yet, looking at some of these pictures from some of the protests, we have folks in close proximity that aren't wearing masks or haven't pulled down or whatever. There, there, there's right. a, there's a tad of hypocrisy in there. Right, and like like we mentioned, I live in the great state of Georgia, and Governor Cuomo, who's been one of the, the biggest mask pushers here, was in Savannah a couple of months ago, lecturing people about wearing masks, didn't have a mask on. And he wow. came from New York, which at the time was a really big hot spot. Yeah, um, now, I don't think New York's the model that we need to be following. I mean, look at what they did with their nursing homes and others where they mandated that the COVID-positive folks be returned back to nursing homes where you had uh, a population of vulnerable folks. I mean, my goodness, really made some big, big mistakes there. But look, no, bottom line, um, you know, this is a, this is a very serious issue. You've got a certain section of the population, as you know, that are vulnerable, that have comorbidities. We need to be focusing our, our resources and our efforts on protecting those folks, uh, some of the most vulnerable in our community. But, um, you know, our nation's been dealt uh, curveballs uh, throughout our history. And, and the way that we've overcome them is by coming together and letting folks innovate and, and uh, overcoming the problems that way. And that's what we need to be doing here. Yeah, that's, you're, you're right. Through 9-11, through the last pandemics, through the Vietnam War, we've always come together as a country. Not We haven't divided ourselves. And of course, right now, it, it looks like America is choosing to divide itself. And I think the American people can see through it because it's not the American people. It's the media. It's uh, some of your colleagues uh, who, who keep pushing stuff like this. Oh, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's political elite that are trying to make this a divisive issue. I mean, think about this for just a minute. This is a, this is a pandemic. It's a, it's, a, it's a global health threat, and you're going to make it partisan. I mean, there's nothing about that that, uh, that that should be even remotely partisan. Even the post office. I mean, it's the post office. What about the right. post office should be partisan? And you once again have political elite that are trying to draw battle lines, that are trying to get folks riled up about um, about what, what the other side is allegedly doing. I mean, this it doesn't make sense at all. The facts don't support it, and uh, we shouldn't let the media and, and some of these elites play us this way. No, I, I completely agree. And this is all, of course, happening in an election year. And to get your take on that, what do you think President, Trump, President Trump's – God, words are hard. President Trump's chances are uh, come November? I, I, think, I think the chances are good. You know, look, you have, you have a couple things here. Number one um, – you know, there's no doubt that that um, if I had a chance to take his Twitter account away, I'd be all over it. You know, some of those tweets and stuff. They, I'm with they, you there. They, they get they get pretty harsh. But here, here's where here's where the the, the really the rubber meets the road. Um, at the end of the day, we've got to get past this emotional. How do you how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Um, we've got to get to the actual nuts and bolts. And the reality is when you truly look at outcomes, you put personality aside, you put style aside, you look at outcomes. You cannot argue with what the president's been doing in regard to economic outcomes, increasing economic activity in this country, standing up to China, standing up to Russia, standing up to North Korea, Iran, some of these countries that have been taking advantage of the United States, either from a national security or specifically, or uh, perhaps more importantly, from a trade perspective. You can't let another country come in and steal people of Georgia, people of Louisiana, people of, of any state's ideas, their, their intellectual property, their inventions, and then turn them back uh, as products from those countries back to the United States where they're effectively stealing jobs and economic activity. You can't let these other countries come in and have their military run roughshod over us. And the president stood up for that. 
lowest unemployment for women, African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans. I mean, these are statistics that really matter to, to an individual, to a family's financial security, to their family security. And those are things at the end of the day people care about. You, you, and I think people are going to see through the personality and style. And at the end of the day, they're going to ask themselves the question, who do you want leading our nation through the recovery? of a global recession and some of these economic challenges and military challenges we're seeing. That's what people are going to ask themselves when they're in the voting booth. And I think that overwhelmingly, if you look at Joe Biden's results after being 40 plus years in Washington, um, or you look at Trump's uh, performance in just three and a half years, it, 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 there's only one answer to that question. You're not going to have a new revolution. You're not going to have a new transformation under a guy that's been over four decades in Washington. Um, he, he's already run his course. And, it, and it, unfortunately, it didn't it didn't yield the results that people are looking for right now. No, no, I completely agree with you. You know, uh, Vice President Biden has served his country uh, arguably well, but his time has come. His time has came and gone. Uh, and that, that does bring us into the next topic I wanted to bring up with you. Uh, you know, the Republican Party doesn't always seem to have the most doesn't always seem to have a long term game plan. And, you know, climate change, as you're aware, not a lot of your colleagues talk about. They, they don't discuss it. And you obviously have, have gained some prominence on the Hill for talking about this. You were the ranking member on the, the, the subcommittee. Uh, what do you see the GOP's role in this as? What should we as Republicans, as conservatives, be saying in this? Because I'm with you. You and I are going to share this earth for decades to come, hopefully. The Republican Party historically made a mistake on, on, in regard to climate issues. I, I do. A lot of people... You know, you, you bring up climate change, they immediately, you know, dismiss it or say it's not real or say that there's nothing to be done and um, and, and, and kind of run from it. And, and, and I came in and I think we need to be taking completely the opposite approach. And let, let's run through why I think we ought to be taking the other approach. Uh, number one, you look at you look at a president's performance. Um, he has taken us from being dependent upon countries like Iran, Iraq. Syria for oil. We were importing oil from those countries historically to actually today where we're exporting American oil, American products to somewhere between eight and 12 different countries. We were, we were building liquefied natural gas terminals to import natural gas from some of these same countries. And today we're exporting American natural gas to 36 different countries. So, so number one on that whole trade and economic uh, activity issue. Number two, and, and one of the, the biggest ones, is actually emissions. So you you see all of these countries that badmouth the United States and drag us through the mud on emissions. Here's the truth. The truth is, is that the United States has reduced emissions more than the next 12 countries combined, combined over the last 15 years. No other country even holds a candle to our performance. So amazing. We've been able to reduce emissions and reduce prices. Other countries haven't been able to do that. And just to give you a little snapshot, you know, we were talking about California earlier. Noah, California, their energy rates, electricity rates are more than twice what we pay at home in Louisiana, more than twice. And you know where they are in the ranking of lowering emissions of all the 50 states? They're 43rd. They're one of the worst in the country at reducing emissions. They're increasing their importation of oil from Saudi Arabia. They're increasing their importation of electricity from adjacent states like Nevada. Uh, their whole strategy that, that, that Democrats are trying to nationalize under Green New Deal and other things would result in higher energy prices and 
worse emissions performance and making us more dependent upon China. So yes, we're attacking it head on because we have demonstrated in the United States, we can reduce emissions, we can reduce prices, we can create jobs and have economic activity and increase the United States global influence in the energy space because we're displacing gas that Vladimir Putin is otherwise selling to a lot of these European, Eastern and Central European nations. We're now selling it to them and we're displacing Vladimir Putin's gas that, by the way, has 41% greater emissions, Russian gas, 41% greater emissions than U.S. gas has. So when you look at that, people say, oh, we need to be following the science. When you follow the science on this, what we're doing and what we've been doing in years is exactly the strategy that we need to be doubling and tripling down on. And you have a cleaner environment. You have a more competitive economy and more job opportunities. You, you, the science and the data does not support Green New Deal and what these other folks are pushing. Right. No, I, I completely agree with you. You know, as a younger conservative and a lot of my colleagues uh, that are that are around my age, we've you know, we've widely agreed that. You know, we can't keep at the same rate. Now, of course, the the other extreme is 12 years will all be dead anyway. We got to quit selling hamburgers. You got to We got to find somewhere in the middle. And hopefully you're leading this charge for more years to come. Um, but it's an issue that, like I said, a lot of Republicans just don't pay attention to because it's been written off that if you talk about climate change, you're automatically with the AOCs and the Bernie Sanders. It's not the case at all. Look, I, I want to be real clear on this, Noah. Technologies like wind and solar and nuclear, those do have a place in our energy future. Absolutely. But we also have to understand the limitations of them. For example, you know, the sun doesn't shine at night. Wind doesn't blow all the time. And energy storage technology today, the battery capacity, is not anywhere near the capacity to power the economy of the United States. So they do play a role, but but we can't set up systems that are entirely dependent upon them because the technology is not there yet. And it plays into the hands of China that, that develops all of this technology in these fields. They're the ones who manufacture it. We usually invent it. They steal it and sell it back to us. But one of the things that's that, that, that about natural resources is that China can't steal our, our cleaner natural gas like they can steal our technology. Yeah, that's very true, because if they could, I'm sure they'd find a way how to. So what would you where would you like to see, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, America to be on on the economic stage, where would, or the, uh, the, uh, the, the energy stage? Where would you like to see well, us? Um, it, it's a it's a great question. And you certainly have to have, you know, what is your vision and what is your goal? So so right now in the United States, we're spending more money than every other country in the world on energy research. Uh, we're spending more money on clean energy research. And so uh, what we need to be doing is basing an energy strategy in the United States based upon our resources. So we've got to look, how do you um, develop the right energy storage technology based upon the resources we have in the United States, not where we're dependent upon China, not where we're dependent upon African nations, that China often controls those those uh, supply streams where we're, we're, we're doing a clean energy future, where we're pursuing a clean energy future that's based upon manufacturing in the United States, jobs in the United States, economic activity and resources. So it will have a role for nuclear, including this next generation, smaller scale nuclear technologies build and develop in other countries um, where we're expanding upon our wind, our tidal energy, our geothermal energy, our to use natural gas and once again nuclear for kind of your base load electricity all of those things will result in the united states continuing 
to have the greatest reduction in emissions globally. It'll allow us to continue to have some of the lowest prices in the world, allowing our economy to be more competitive. So, I mean, it's just a win-win-win. It really is. And not this scenario where you come in and you say you must have wind or you must have solar. Don't know a one example as to why that is a, a, the proof of science shows it works. When you look at President Obama's clean power plan, where he was setting these targets, he was picking the energy technologies. Of course, that is no longer a mandate. Under President Trump, we have hit the same targets that President Obama set. We've done it without the technological mandates, and we've done it 10 years earlier than President Obama said, than he had targeted. It just proves what we are doing is the strategy that works, and it doesn't harm our economy. To the contrary, it provides opportunity for Americans. And it also, you know, it backs up what we keep saying is when you allow the free market to work, when you allow, you know, people like Elon Musk to innovate, things get done a lot quicker and a lot more efficient than under the government control. Amen. We don't need to have people in Washington that, that don't have any experience in the energy industry out there picking energy technology winners and losers. That's not what works. Free market allowing people to innovate is, is exactly the solution that we need to be pursuing. And, and importantly, I'm going to say it for about the fourth time. That is what it, the, the science data show is the best strategy to, to result in these, these cleaner energy uh, solutions for America's future. Awesome. I, I really, I really admire your, your take on this because I'm, I'm sure you, you heard from GOP leadership. I don't know if you should be talking about that. Um, but even to get to get to piggyback on that question a little bit, you know, obviously, I think Donald Trump has a really good chance of reelection in 2020, as do you. However, we also have to start worrying about the 2024 election. What do you see as the, the, our party's future after President Trump, after he has I, hit his eight year mark? Yeah, I think I think it's really important that, you know, you can look at um, the demographics of today's Republican Party. And I don't think that that our uh, representation among young people, among more diverse folks, like, for example, uh, within the African-American and Hispanic community, they're not where they need to be. And and let me be clear when I use the word need, what I'm talking about, Noah, um, I don't mean uh, where we need to be in order to win elections and things like that. What I mean by that is that when you look at our policies, you look at the, the policies that Republicans have advocated, these are the policies that have taken people out of poverty into prosperity, that have allowed young people, middle-aged people, and senior citizens them opportunity. It is over and over again that by having the government, a smaller government, Focus on the things that they need to be focused on. Things like infrastructure. Let's make sure our roads, our bridges, our flood protection infrastructure is where it needs to be. Um, having it focusing on our national security and, and, and on other core competencies of government. And otherwise, letting people exercise their free will, exercise their innovation, their ingenuity. That is the, those are the sort of the, the tenets of government that yield the most creativity, the best, best outcomes, the best success. And once again, lifting people out of poverty into prosperity, giving people opportunity, um, young people, old people. And th that's really, we've got to do a better job connecting with people and helping to, to show how historically these strategies have worked and comparing it to what's happening in other countries that are carrying out these more socialist type 
policies and, and how it actually depresses innovation, it depresses economic activity and opportunity, and really just contrary to the best interest of our country and our future. No, I, I completely agree. You know, I'm good friends with a guy named C.J. Pearson, who has been who has been championing this since he was. I think that we are making a lot of strides. I'm sure you you've seen social media and all the prominent uh, younger and diverse teenage activists that are out there, you know, stumping for Trump. I just talked to a kid yesterday who he uh, he lives in Virginia, I believe it is. And he knocked on 267 doors for President Trump. And this kid is 12 years old. Wow. Knocking at 267 doors. That uh, is uh, that is awesome. It, it it's so great seeing young people that will just break that facade. What be telling? And and look, I hate to say this, but but even I think that you've had some schools and colleges that have been infiltrated with with this biased perspective, and and just to see young people that will actually look at the outcomes themselves, look at the evidence themselves and draw their own conclusions. I think it's fantastic. And obviously that 12 year old's motivated to be out there <laughs> counted on the number of doors that he is. Yeah, I'm exactly. sure. Replicate is that very strategy. No, I, I'm 100%. And, and then what you, what you just mentioned on with the schools, it's, it's very important. Uh, I go to a school that is, that is very, very, very uh, conservative. If that makes sense. I have a, I had a teacher for us history and I remember one of the questions were, uh, it was like, I hope I don't get in trouble for, for giving the answer to the question, but, um, it was like the KKK was blank. And the answer was a domestic terrorist organization founded by the Democrats. And I was like, where are the, what, how many other colleges can we find this as the answer here? Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, look, I, I'll, I'll tell you, no, I, I think it's really important that young people today be exposed to, to, to both sides or, you know, to, to diverse opinions, because you know, I'll, I'll say this again. I am so confident that if people are just given equal time, equal opportunity to see, you know, the two sides or perhaps three or four different perspectives that that they are going to be led, I think, to that more conservative uh, uh, ideology, because the, the history of this country is so extraordinary and it's built upon that very concept that that if you work hard, if you're innovative, you can achieve your definition of success. And, you know, look, I'll say it again. The proof, the proof positive is that why is it that people from nearly every country in the world are banging on our door or trying to come in our border to get to get their opportunity, their opportunity to experience their version of the American dream? It's not these other socialist and communist approaches are overwhelmingly great. It's because they know that our strategy built on this conservative ideology is the one that truly provides opportunity and it rewards hard work. I mean, think for just a minute, Noah, if you were a, a swimmer in the Olympics and you were in there jumping in to do the freestyle and you're all by yourself, you're all by yourself. There's nobody to your left or to your right. Do you really think that that's going to be pushing you to, to try your hard? To, to innovate, to, to come up with the great technologies and the efficiency and the work ethic? Or do you think if you've got five other people adjacent to you in those lanes and they're pushing you and, and they're right next to you, I mean, that's what's going to cause you to, to give it your all, to give it your best. And that's exactly why the United States is the sole superpower. It's why we're so exceptional is because we have allowed, we, we, are, we have had this unique system. You work hard, you are allowed to achieve your definition of success. And that's really what helps people is is such an exceptional nation 
No, no, you're correct. Nobody's swimming 90 miles from Miami to Cuba. They're swimming swimming from Cuba to Miami. You know, I <laughs> I will continue to champion. And one 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 reason I believe that the right has such a good chance in the future uh, of winning super majorities in most state houses and mo and and both the Congress is you know living my generation, speaking to thousands of teenagers as I have. You know, I, I've dubbed us in my in my book. I dubbed us the live and let live generation because we are so diverse. And there's we have so much information coming in from so many times that we just get to a point where we just don't care what people are doing or anything. We just want people to just be free and to just leave people alone. And that is a conservative approach. You do what makes you happy. I'll do what makes me happy. And we just don't bother each other. That's how the, the country was set up. As long as you're not infringing upon someone else's government and focus on its core competencies, things like infrastructure, national security, foreign relations, that, that really is the role. And, and I think that the, of government, I think it's the history of this that's that's shown that that, that strategy really does work and it really does creative and prosper. And that's uh, that's what absolutely what we need to be doing here. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Congressman. It's been a great, great conversation. Um, tell the people where they can find you out on social media so they can stay in tune with your message. Yeah, absolutely. T Graves, G-R-A-V-E-S. So Congressman Garrett Graves. We're on Facebook. Its website is uh, GarrettGraves.com. Uh, so come check us out and uh, love to continue the dialogue with you, Noah. Love what you're doing sure. and the fact that you're breaking through that emotional facade and looking at the at the facts and just informing people. So thanks for your efforts. Of course. Uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and I, I appreciate you you having the wisdom uh, that you do, at, you know, and to say, for me to say at such a young age, I'm, I'm 19, uh, you a little bit older than that. Um, but, you know, I appreciate it. And I, I look forward to having you on in the future. I look forward to it as well. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, again, that was Congressman Graves. And I do apologize. Um, we had a bit of bad audio during that recording. Um, but like I said, I think he's I think he's a big. He's going to play a big part in the next 10 years, 10, 15, 20 years of GOP politics. I'm very glad that he joined the first episode of the Let Freeman podcast. And I hope you guys enjoyed. This show will be coming out every Monday. I have a great guest next week. Um, this show will be coming out every Monday from here on out, um, unless something, some unseen circumstance happens. First and foremost, subscribe. Thank you for listening, by the way. Thank you for listening. But I hope you subscribe. And I hope that you're able to see where I'm coming from. Again, I don't want to, I don't want to change your mind on anything. I want to give you the tools necessary to change your mind. I want you to see the conservative opinion and go, eh, maybe they're not all Nazis. I, I hope, I hope you don't think any of us are Nazis, but yes, I want to give you those opinions. I want to give you my opinions, and I'll be honest, they're opinions. They could be wrong. I'm sure I'm wrong on things, and that's fine. And to those listening. If you disagree with me at all, shoot my producer an email. Shoot an email to ringxmedia at gmail.com, R-I-N-G-E-X-media at gmail.com. Feel free to come on. We'll discuss ideas. I'll be I'll be 100% honest with you. I'll be 100%. I'll listen, and I won't try to ask any gotcha questions. This episode of the Let Free Ring podcast, you can catch us every Monday right here, wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you subscribed. You're making us one of the fastest growing teenage conservative podcasts in the world. Thank you so much.
Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins, cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire, and making home warm and welcoming. For one-stop holiday shopping, visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com/holiday. Do you sometimes get the sense that debates about America's role in the world are predictable and often disconnected from reality? Our new podcast tries to change that. None of the above offers new ideas to help confront America's global challenges. Subscribe to None of the Above today.